Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to the Near and Queer to My Heart podcast. I'm your host, Amanda G. Thank you all so much for tuning in. We're so happy to be bringing you episodes, especially during this time when it is so important for our community to stay connected and to be there for each other. This is the last episode that we recorded prior to COVID. And weirdly enough, we recorded this in a church. I never thought that the Near and Queer to My Heart podcast would have the day where we said, hey, we've recorded this episode in the sanctuary of a church. But we did, and here we are, and I'm still here to tell the story. So I guess that that went all right. We interviewed Sally Jackson, who I met through her radio show on WHIV. Uh, she co-hosts a show that PFLAG runs called Expanding the Rainbow. And I was really excited to be on the show. And I said yes. When they asked me, I said yes immediately. And then they later followed up with the details, which was that it was at 8am in the morning, (laughs) which I guess I should have got that information first, but I was committed. And I got there at 745 in the morning. This was all pre-COVID time, by the way. This was a couple months back. And I got there and I met Sally for the first time. And even before we got on the radio, we were just talking and talking and going on and on about everything under the sun. And we just really felt connected. And I was so excited when she wanted to do the interview with us. And I'm really excited to bring that interview. But before we get to Sally Jackson, uh, we do have a sponsor that I'd like to mention, Gaston Luga. They are a Swedish company that designs backpacks and accessories. And they sent me one of their backpacks. And it's amazing. It's perfect right now, especially for going to the grocery store. It's just, it's easy to walk to the grocery store, have a backpack, put everything in there and head on back home. It's stylish. It's comfortable, which I really like because I, for me, accessories have to be comfortable or I'm not going to bother with them. And this thing is so comfortable and the materials are nice. And I definitely check them out, gastonluga.com. And if you use our discount code, it's 15% off, near and queer is the code. So if you use Near and Queer at Gaston Luga, G-A-S-T-O-N-L-U-G-A, you will get 15% off any purchase that you have. And it comes, the bag comes in a bag. And right now they have a promotion where you're getting a free card holder, which is really cool. It matches. It's easy to use. It's great. You'll look fashionable. You'll look cool. You'll be comfortable. Everything about it's wonderful. So check them out. We'll post all the information on our social media. Thank you, Gaston Luga, for sponsoring us. And thank you to our guest, Sally Jackson, who we're going to get to right now. So let's give it up for Sally Jackson. And I used Sally Michelle Jackson because there was already a Sally Jackson writing cookbooks. And I wouldn't want anybody who was looking for paranormal investigations to end up with a cookbook because <laughs> that would be very strange. Yeah. Do you do paranormal investigations? No, that's what my novels are. Okay. I didn't know you did novels. 
Oh, yeah. I know you are a musician and a radio host, which mm-hmm. is how we met. Yeah. I've had uh, a number of careers to get where I am now, which is wherever that happens to be <laughs> at the moment. One of the things that you know people who aren't familiar with me is that I am transgender. And I spent the first 58 years of my life trying to fit in where I didn't belong. <laughs> and because of that, I had numerous careers that are not things you would expect when you meet me now. I was a carpenter's assistant, and I say you wouldn't expect that now because I still have all ten fingers. And beautiful nails. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I was an electrician's assistant for a while. I worked on a delivery crew. These were all jobs I held while I was in college. And the delivery crew, we actually were getting rid of the old mainframe housings for computers that they no longer Oh, those big, giant... Like, the giant things that weighed, you know, two or three hundred pounds. Yeah, they wouldn't know about it. They stood about seven feet tall, and they were really solid metal. They didn't want anything to move. <laughs> and so when we loaded them up on the truck to take it to the dump to get the money for the metal, it took four of us to get it to the lift on the truck (laughs) so things i don't do anymore (laughs) this is the first uh, episode of this podcast that i've recorded in a church when i reached out to you you were like hey come on by i do some studio time i didn't realize it was at a church and then i finally looked at the address and i was just like i use the sanctuary (laughs) to (laughs) practice it's a great place to practice (laughs) a lot of people get their musical start in churches where a lot of people that is where the music comes from right most of our music started out Sacred music started with the plain, plain song chants, and then they get, went into harmonies out of that, and then they started into it, and then the secular got it going off of all the sacred music. Brief music history. I was a music educator. Of course you were. Of course, yeah. You just have to. I'm just going to list the... jobs, and you've, you've done it. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I worked in a bakery for uh, three hours of commercial bread bakery. I would have worked longer, but they put me up in the yeast rising room and I couldn't take it. And I told them, it was like, it wasn't just the heat. I stood at the end of the tunnel oven, about 140 degrees in the room, (laughs) grabbed the bread and threw it through the slicer. And that was my first job there. And then they said, okay, now you're going to move up to the rising room. And I told them, well, the combination of the heat and the smell in there, bread baking smells wonderful. Yeast rising does not. Oh, yeah, I was going to say, usually like the smell of baking bread yeah. is a pleasant. Yes, when you get it to the oven, it's good. <laughs> but just prior to the oven, that step that I was in is a really difficult smell to deal with for me. It's closer to ether than any other smell I can think of. I've never made bread, so that is yeah. good to know. This yeah. is why I don't cook. Yeah. There's surprises. <laughs> I don't want to know that bread does that to you. <laughs> yeah, but when you get it into the oven and it's baking, it's wonderful. But um, I informed the fellow that had me in there when I'd been in there for a little while. I came back to see how I was doing. I said, I, I'm not doing too well in here. He says, you feel like you're about, yeah. And he goes like, well, uh, we'll just move you out of here. And, and that, was, that was my three-hour uh, experience working for <laughs> Mrs. Baird's Bakery in Fort Worth, Texas. <laughs> okay. Are you from? Is that where you're from? That's where I'm from. Okay. Fort Worth. That's always been my fear with everything that I love. Like in college, I ended up being a film studies major. And yeah. I love movies and I wanted to learn everything about them. But I was scared that if I studied it or worked in that field, that it would yeah. take away the pleasure. Um, and in some level, like, I, you know, it's like bread is such an important part of my life like i wouldn't <laughs> yeah. i wouldn't want to risk <laughs> yeah. well i understand that about the fear of doing i did things that i thought i would love doing for a living and when you get actually exposed to what it is to be doing that for a living not so much you know yeah. 
Well, like I said, I was a music educator, and I loved working with the kids. I had beginning bands. I worked in junior high. I assisted at a high school. I did all these different things. But I didn't like dealing with the administrations because they're always coming in and telling you what you need to be doing. And none of them had music ed degrees. (laughs) And all they care about is budget and and parents that complain and not really the... Yeah. Not everybody, but sometimes it's not about the, the quality of the program right. and really supporting the program. The band booster's kid is not the best clarinet player in the school, but they think mm. the president of the band booster says they should really be playing the solos. And somebody comes to you and, and suggests that to you, and they don't like it if you say no. Because <laughs> it wasn't really a suggestion yeah, to it wasn't begin a suggestion. with. <laughs> yeah. uh, suggestions in... Um, educational systems are generally demands you know these are your orders <laughs> yeah we'll call it a suggestion and it's we'll like, say it with a smile yeah it's like being voluntold <laughs> to do something you know? <laughs> i never heard that word voluntold yeah it's like do you want to work here well then we would suggest yeah. that you have this little guy do clarinet he has no experience yes there's another guy who's been playing clarinet his whole life we're gonna leave it there mm-hmm. fort worth you grew up there when did you first leave I've traveled a lot of places. I've really only lived, um, well, in the Metroplex itself. That's where Dallas, Fort Worth, and anything within about 60 miles are all <laughs> counted together. I lived in Arlington for a while, which is halfway between the two. And then um, I lived in Hawaii for a short time. How'd you get to Hawaii? What was... I took a plane. <laughs> <laughs> you knew better than to ask me that. <laughs> I set this, myself up for that one. This is what you do for a living. You know? <laughs> and it's like, that, that's on me. Uh, okay. Well, anyway, I, um, <laughs> a friend of mine wanted to start up a business in Hawaii, and he knew I'd been there several times and knew the area and people and all, and he asked me if I'd go be the the front well, at that time the front man for the business and i went down there and he didn't have enough money really to start up a business in fort worth and hawaii is like three times more expensive so i was only there for a few months i had my own place and all came back a couple months earlier than i planned on coming back because you know the money was running out but um yeah, I um I did the teaching stuff. I taught at junior college, taught jazz improv and private trumpet brass, and that was fun. But then I um, tried a career. I, my timing was perfect. It was just the time they were cutting another trumpet out of the big bands because nobody could afford it. Mm-hmm. So I was the one that was called after the first, second, and third subs that they'd that had been members of the band, you know, were called, and then I'd get to go. But I, I played a good little deal around the Fort Worth, Dallas area, not with the, the biggest bands, but with some of some that are fairly well-known. Most of my professional playing was done in little pickup bands like that, and the rest was on cruise ships. I did the cruise ship life. I get very seasick, and I know people have told me, like, cruise ships are different, I get seasick well, on kayaks, on anything. Yeah. So Fortunately, I don't. Because one of the cruises I paid for as a passenger was down to Antarctica. You went to Antarctica? Yeah. Wow. I was a professional photographer for a while. I went to photograph I know you penguins. You just take a cruise there. Oh, yeah. Uh, they only take them a very short window. It's their <laughs> summer. And they warn you, you know, if you see a green patch, don't walk on it. Because that's grass is at least 25 years old for you to see it. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> it's that harsh an environment. But um, I went down there to do that. And you go through the Drake's Passage. Now, the Drake's Passage is from Tierra del Fuego, the horn down there of South America, down to Antarctica. On the other side, there's South Africa down there. We were real lucky on the way down. Everybody was going, this isn't bad. But on the way back up, we got 
typical weather. They lock down the elevators because they bang around real bad and they don't want people in them and they tend to break down. And when I went to dinner, there were like three waiters, four busboys, one sitting for the entire thing and only about six tables. Everybody else was in their rooms, including yeah. busboys. <laughs> I'm still thinking about if you're on a ship in the middle of the ocean in bad weather and also if you were stuck in that elevator. That yeah. seems to be like that, a nightmare be, on top of a nightmare. That would be horrible. <laughs> yeah. So um, claustrophobic, so I, I don't refer to them as elevators. They're moving coffins the way I look at it. <laughs> I've been stuck in enough of them to agree with you. <laughs> but um, I did that. But the funny thing was the first cruise ship job I played it was just down in the Bahamas. I was covering for a fellow's vacation. Now, some people may recognize the name if they ever listened to like Maynard Ferguson, Stan Kenton groups like that. His name was Dennis Noday. Very, very good trumpet player, but also a very powerful trumpet player because he played with these bands that played really loud. And they kept asking me to play louder. It was only a six-piece band. I was going, why am I working so hard to play over this band? Well, they'd gotten a new sound guy on at the same time, and he didn't know it, but the old sound guy had just unplugged <laughs> Dennis's microphone because he didn't need it. There were only you know five other people. They all had microphones, and Dennis didn't have any problems being heard. Uh, I was heard and all, but it wasn't. I wasn't used to playing quite like that. And that was two weeks of strong aerobic exercise. You know. When did you start playing trumpet? Because I think that's a, such an interesting instrument. You know, when I was young, my mom made me do piano lessons. Yeah. I know a lot of folks start guitar very yeah. young. Um, why, why trumpet and when? I started on piano because my sister was taking piano lessons from a lady across the street. And I just had to play piano. I liked the lady that was teaching it. She was almost old enough to be one of my grandparents, and her dad lived with them. Oh, man. <laughs> and I met him. I don't know how old, he, how old he was when he finally died, but it was like she was in her 70s already, and he was still there, you know. But um, I learned piano then, starting when I was about five, five or six. And then in school, they offered it to you. I was nine years old. I was the youngest one in the class because I started early. I have an early September birthday. Ah, you, you know? got in. Yeah, so I got in there. And so I was nine when I started. And that means I've been playing it for uh, 59 years so far. Okay. Because I've never really... I've gone up to a year without getting a chance to play. But I'm lucky enough that whatever amount of skill I was able to develop, I maintain it without a lot of practice. I just, I have to work my endurance back up if I have to play a long job, but I can lay off for a couple of months and be back in about a week and a half. That's <laughs> impressive. So. I can only play one song still on the piano, and it's uh -huh. Take Me Out to the Ball Game, and literally no one wants to hear it. <laughs> I went to school with college with three brothers who all played organ, so they covered all the local things. One of them played uh, organ at the Rangers stadium one of them played we had a minor league hockey team at the time he played at their <laughs> arena then finally they ran out of organist jobs outside of churches and the other one played piano and sang at an italian restaurant but they were all working yeah i love watching the work like organ players i think it's such a beautiful process to just mm -hmm. see them work organist and drummers have to be the most coordinated people around because if you're playing a drum set, you're doing something different with each foot and yeah. each hand. And on organ, 
you're doing something different with each foot, all 10 of the fingers, on the other hand, <laughs> on multiple keyboards. Yeah, <laughs> I just, I love watching it. It's so amazing. Yeah, I, um, I got interested in the trumpet, and it's fitting that I live down here now because Al Hurt was the one that got me started on trumpet. I just heard that sound and said, that's what I want to do. And then, of course, he played fantastic playing, but I just wanted to, to be able to do that. And it was kind of discouraging the first few years because I didn't get that kind of sound early. (laughs) (laughs) You stuck with it. That's the thing, too. Like, I tried to learn guitar, and I gave up very easily because I can't wrap my brain around it. Hmm. I just thought, you know, I thought I'd watch a few YouTube videos, and I'd learn how to strum. I didn't think I'd be, like, you know, the next Jimi Hendrix by any means, but I just wanted to, Uh you know, mess around with the guitar every once in a while. My sister does not play anything on piano by ear. She has to have music. Since I went in jazz and started being the improv soloist in the group, I learned to pick up things by ear pretty easily. And I can play by ear now, but it's um, it's a, a fun process. It's one of the things they say music, that's why music keeps your mind alert as you get older. If you're still involved with music, there's some processes going on where you're using parts of your brain that you normally don't. It's like doing higher math when you're doing that. There's a section of your brain that does that. It's kind of a really good exercise. Yeah, my grandma, who made it to uh, 96, she would, her thing was the the crossword puzzle every day and the cryptogram that they had in her. Mm -hmm. She's like, you got to do, tell me all the time, you got to do this every day. It keeps your mind sharp. (laughs) But she also made it very far. You know, I was like, she might be right. I like doing crossword puzzles. So I've got an app on my phone and I do, um, I think it's, when I do the full thing that they have available for free, you know, I'm not going to buy coins to play an extra (laughs) game. I think I'd do like nine or ten crossword puzzles a day. My grandmother on my dad's side would do crossword puzzles in ink. She said she couldn't see the pencil. But she never crossed anything out. She just... People are good. Yeah. Is the music what brought you to... Like, how did you end up in New Orleans? What? Okay, that's a little more interesting. I, uh, I was in Fort Worth and not a good place to transition or let anybody know that you're transgender. I had to drive 50 miles each way to get a therapist that would admit to working oh, with wow. the... At that time, it was called gender identity disorder and considered a mental... Well, now they know it's physical and it's um, gender dysphoria. I was working with a therapist in Dallas and she said I needed to have a little more socialization with the community. There really wasn't one in Fort Worth, and I was working the night that the group met in Dallas. So she suggested online, and there was a group online at the time that was called Laura's Playground. And it was actually, it was the companion forum to a suicide prevention chat room. And I went on there and didn't post. I'm really shy. You can tell that now, right? (laughs) And I asked a few questions and didn't really do much for a while and then got involved a little bit more and one night I always did my posting two o'clock in the morning because like I said I'm always up (laughs) I was a night I also jazz musician is a good thing to do yeah it works out there was uh, a young man trans man on uh, Vancouver Island not in the city of Vancouver in a small town on the other end of the island so he was up at that time of night and he was saying his final goodbyes and one of the moderators was trying to talk to him and he just wasn't connecting with him at all he didn't know why he didn't seem to hit exactly the right language for for the kid 
So I started posting. I had to have everything approved by the moderator, but he started doing it. After a while, he stopped coming in. It was just the kid and me, and he would approve each one so we could talk to each other. And finally, the kid said he was going to go to bed and not make any decisions till tomorrow. And that was fine. We just wanted him to, to yeah. get down there. And so the moderator said, well, you have to give us 24 hours notice. You know, here, you know that. <laughs> and the next morning, he came on and he realized, he said he didn't think anybody would miss him. But his cat stood in the doorway, wouldn't let him shut the door to his bedroom, just stayed in the doorway. Didn't go, he either went to the living room and slept there or he'd come in and sleep in there. But he never stood in the doorway. And he said he realized that the cat knew something was wrong and didn't want him to go away. And he said, and you guys spent so much time with me, you know, and I knew you were two time zones later. He said he thought he'd stick around for a while. He did so well, turned around his outlook on life that they made him a moderator because he was talking to the teens that were on there, the upper teens, and giving them encouragement. So they made him the youngest moderator they'd ever had. Was that scary for you to, like, if I went on a chat room or a forum and saw somebody in that kind of pain, I would be nervous to... Well, it uh, most of the things he was saying resonated with me because it wasn't my proudest moment, but I did have a suicide attempt in Fort Worth. I just, it wasn't planned, you know, I didn't write out a note, blame anybody or anything else. I just, I had a house there with a attached garage and I went out to run an errand and nobody knew I was running you know I just went out started the car and I, when I reached up for the um the garage door opener I just didn't open it I just turned off my cell phone and I turned the classical radio station on and started listening to classical music just long just sitting there waiting and for some reason I decided to turn the engine off and I went back to the back of the house opened a window back there and got online and talked to a couple of friends of mine from that Laura's playground. They made me a moderator two days after the, uh, the incident I was talking about with the kids, <laughs> with the yeah. kid there. I went on and talked to some, and there were several of some moderators that got to be friends. And that's where it brings us back to how did I get down here. Things started falling apart in Fort Worth financially. And I could say it was all because of the times and all my photographic business wasn't doing as well and house payments and all it was really difficult to make everything work and um, I can blame it all on that but I was spending all of my time that I should have been out advertising and trying to get more clients I was researching how you go about doing the transition but um one of the ladies that we had actually gotten together we we talked so much on the phone and over Skype when that came out and we had uh, met in memphis we actually stayed in south memphis in arkansas it was cheaper anyway there were two of my friends down here well one of them was down here the other one was going to be coming down and we met in memphis and we just we got a motel room and we we made a pack none of us were bringing any of our men's clothing this is the first time any of us had really been out anywhere we drove to meet there one girl from Ohio, one from Hammond, and me from Fort Worth, and we all got together. We went out and did everything and didn't even think about it. We were having a good time. I enjoyed the fact that the um, waiter at an Italian inn was Spaghetti Warehouse, I think it was, but anyway, we were 
eating a Italian dinner and the waiter kept flirting with me. Mm. I was going like, okay. I had same thing happened to me when I was in San Antonio. I went with my sister to a convention and she was never convinced that I was ever going to be able to make it female because mm. she knew me way too long the other way. And there's the two of us sitting there, and the waiter flirts with me. I'll mention the names because Elizabeth Jenkins was the president of the, when they formed the Louisiana Trans Advocates, she was in on the formation and the meetings and all. She and the other roommate that came down, Donna Jean Loy, who passed away a few years ago, they were in the founding of it. And then Elizabeth was the president for six years, and DJ was the secretary treasurer. Well... I was losing the house because I couldn't afford it. And Lizzie was going through a similar situation down here. And uh, she called me up one day and said, you want to come down here? I found a really nice apartment. It's a little townhome sort of thing. He said, if you want to come down and split expenses, that might help you. And I was working a part-time job which is 35 hours a week as part-time for Sears. It just Sears. means they're not going to yeah. give you benefits. Right. And <laughs> I transferred from... Fort Worth Sears to the Metairie Sears and uh, moved down here. So they're the two that got me down here. Lizzie, um, Lizzie and DJ got married, and then DJ died a little after that. And she's responsible for getting me down here. How was it that first time? You're in Memphis, you're out, uh, you're meeting up with folks. This is the first time you all met, and this is the first time that you're out-out. No. Right. How was that feeling? Well, and it happened more than more than once, uh, which was kind of odd to me. But what happened was we went to the um, we went to a little pizza place, and the only thing people were looking at about us. And I look at those pictures from then, and I was pretty rough. You know, all three of us were. But they'd look, and the only thing they really noticed was that we were. Liz is 6'1", and I'm 6'3". DJ was the only one that looked normal height for a woman. So the uh, teenage boys are sitting there looking, (laughs) man, she's taller than the center on our basketball team. (laughs) But they didn't seem to think anything else about it. And when we were in Memphis, uh, we went over to Graceland. It was too late for a tour, and, well, basically, none of us could really afford that much money for a tour. (laughs) So we went over, and we were at the grounds across the way where they've got his airplanes and stuff like that. Well, DJ had been in the Air Force, so she wanted to peek over the fence and see those. And uh, while we were there, they were taking some pictures around this side, and I'd wandered around the other side to look a little bit closer. And um, this English gentleman comes walking up to me. I have a pretty impressive camera with me because it's the one I used for my business. Yeah. So he was talking, asked some questions about how I would get better pictures with the camera he had, which wasn't bad, but he was asking questions about his stuff. And, and then before he left, he made a point of pointing to the hotel he was staying in and told me his room number. <laughs> and I'm yeah. going like, okay, <laughs> you know. So uh, my biggest fears were always that it was just like people were going to turn and run in terror like Godzilla's come into town or something, you know. Because yeah. you always feel like um, everybody's going to think you're there's something really wrong with you. And I never had that. That's great. I'd have couples come up and ask me questions, directions. I always seem to look like I know where I'm going, <laughs> and I go into any store anywhere, and people will ask me where something is in another department. I don't know. It's the first time I've been in there. You know? <laughs> but I don't tend to wander around staring at the ceiling like and totally lost. I, I read the signs ahead where it says to go, and if you seem to look like you belong, people just accept that you do belong there. Yeah. And that, that reminds me of a funny story. 
I was in a jazz band that was practiced at the Lockheed Martin Recreation Area. That doesn't sound like recreation. No. Yeah, but, well, but they, they had a golf course and everything else. Okay, there. they're fancy. And, uh, and so the band was originally made up of people that worked at Lockheed Martin and had played in college and didn't want to quit playing. But they were finding they had deficits in certain sections. So a friend of mine from college was invited to play lead trumpet with them. And they started getting more and more difficult charts after they got him in there, and he was kind of killing himself. He was raising uh, a set of twins and a younger son and was overseeing nine labs. He didn't have as much practice time as he'd like, so he asked me if I'd like to play in the group. And I came in, and I found out they didn't have anybody that really played ad-lib solos at all. They'd write something out, and so the first time you go through a piece, there was no solo. So uh, Mark said, why don't you play the solo on this one? So I played it and ended up being, uh, my position was second trumpet jazz soloist. The funny thing about that was I played in that jazz band for almost 25 years, and then I went back after I'd transitioned and played a gig with them. That was fun. Everybody was really nice. I went to one of the rehearsals just to go back and see some of the guys. There were only two people in the band that knew before I got there, the director and my friend. And the way I got treated by all these people was not like, oh, wow, what is wrong with you? It was like he came over to, because you had to have a pass at this point to get in there. So he came over and picked me up and carried my horn case for me. If you're looking for a backpack, or if you're not looking for a backpack, but now that I said backpack, you're like, ah, oh, maybe I should get a backpack, look no further than Gaston Luga. Gaston Luga is a Swedish company that makes the most amazing backpacks. Myself, I have the Campus in blue, and it is so cool, and it's comfortable, and it's easy to use. Sometimes backpack straps get stuck, the, the adjustment hurts, they pinch you. Not Gaston Luga. Their products are amazing. They're made with great materials, and they're easy and affordable. Right now, we have a 15% off discount code, uh, through Near and Queer to My Heart. So when you go on there, GastonLugo.com, when you log out, use Near and Queer, and you'll get 15% off your purchase. Also, through June, through the end of June, they're including a blue card holder with every purchase. So check them out. Well, they'll be on our social media. You can see my stylish backpack, and we can be buddies. All right. Thank you. GastonLugo.com. Because I know you mentioned that you and your sister had been out yeah. um, together and you had been flirted with. <laughs> we'll just bring that up yeah. again. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> just to remind everybody. Oh, I, I don't mind that. <laughs> but I wanted to ask how, uh, if you came out to your family and if so, how, how was the response? My, my dad was, he was already in his upper eighties and he was, um, suffering from dementia. And I don't know if you've ever been around someone who's really suffering with dementia, but their personality changes completely. And he cursed a lot, which he had never done. When he was younger, and he started uh, more bigoted behavior, and and so it's just like something that's going on in the brain. It's just short circuiting everything you were before, and it's just it, it wasn't really. I never bothered coming out to him because it was very possible I would have to do it multiple times anyway. And my mother was the one that taught us to all be tolerant of everybody else, the good Christian values, real Christian values. Studied all of the different religions so we'd be tolerant of them. Didn't have any problems with other races. Loved to meet new people, find out things. That's where I got the that from. She taught me how to be accepting and curious rather than just go like, 
oh, they're different. I'm going to hide from them. Yeah, they're different, and therefore yeah. they're inferior Evil. Yeah. or bad or, yeah. yeah. So I was, I figured that would be an easy one to come out to her. Uh, she didn't have on any part of it. Never accepted me, didn't want to see me as anybody but the old, and like I said, insert dead name here. That's the way we refer to it. And um, I had to dress up as much as I could like a guy if she was going to be anywhere around. Well, fortunately, she was still back in Texas, and I was down here at that point. So it was mostly over the telephone. She never used anything but the dead name and the wrong pronouns. It sounds like she went out of her way to, to teach you tolerance, but yeah. sometimes it's hard when it's... Yeah, it's different when it's your family. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that was not the expectation that I had. They tell you when you're transitioning or when you're coming out to somebody uh, gay and lesbian, coming out to somebody, don't decide for them how they're going to react because you're always going to be wrong anyway. <laughs> you know? My sister is very accepting, but she lives in East Texas, and... When they first got to East Texas, this girl that was greeting them for where her husband was going to be working was wearing a T-shirt that said, Welcome to East Texas. Set your calendars back 150 years. <laughs> and The the T-shirt concept's funny, not yeah, the actual fact that that's true. The but fact also that it's true, yeah. somebody living there wearing this T-shirt, <laughs> yeah. this like self-awareness, but yeah. they're like, well, I'm still going to live here. Yeah, she's still working, and she actually works for one of the counties there under... The budgeting for there then comes from under a judge who is, well, you can't even say conservative or ultra-conservative for him. It's just he's straight out of, like, I'd say he was most like uh, Judge Roy Bean. You know, somebody dies in, the, in the, the street and you find him however much he had in his pocket for loitering. And so she hasn't told any of her friends about me. I've been up there to visit, and we've gone out to eat and everything else. If somebody walks by, they don't recognize me. I've changed just a bit. And she'll just introduce my friend Sally from New Orleans. Oh, wow. I understand why she's doing it now that she, while she's working. She comes down here and doesn't care. But um, she is planning on staying there because she bought a house. All of her friends that are really close friends up there are older than she is. And they're starting to die off, which is not a pleasant thought, but it does happen when you're past seventy yourself and your friends are older. You know they're going to be yeah they're going to be going. I do relate a lot. Where you in the beginning you were saying, you know, I tried all these different things because I knew there was something inside of me, mm -hmm. and that's how I felt. Like I before I came out, I was I was shy, I was quiet, mm -hmm. I didn't want to be different from anybody. I right. just wanted to fit in. I wanted to talk with my friends the way they talked with each other about boys and yeah. things. And I knew that wasn't me, but I tried so hard for so long. Yeah. And then for me, you know, it reached a point of like, hey, I can't do this anymore. I need to to come out. And I know you said that was fifty eight year you know, timeline for you, but yeah. what was the moment that you were like, I can't live like this anymore? Or the moment when you're like, hey, this is why I've been doing all these things and trying all these things, yeah. and it's this moment of, hey. Well, I knew when I was four something's different about me, and I didn't want to do stuff. School was where I really learned because they lined you up and you did this or you did that, and I didn't want to be there doing what the guys were doing. I'd look over and see what the girls were doing, and I thought what they were doing looked like a whole lot more fun than being pushed down in the sticker patch, you know. Uh, just to me, it seemed like more fun. But uh, it, the the moment was I had been trying to fit in so well, and I, I had gotten married, and um, 
This girl, I, I loved her. I never was in love with her, but she was having problems. Her family never got over the fact she had a learning disability when she was younger, and they just treated her like you can't do this stuff and all. And that was her comfort zone. I didn't realize that. You can't help somebody that doesn't want to be helped. And she had some other emotional problems. And it was like barely back from the honeymoon before you realized that this was not going to work because she triggered on various things. And she'd been abused in her first marriage and stuff. So it's just like I didn't want to be the first one in my family to be divorced. Again, I'm trying to make everybody else happy. Yeah, and fit in. Yeah, and I hung on there for five and a half years. And there was a point, just realized that she doesn't want to be helped because she doesn't know she needs help. She thinks this is the way it's supposed to be, and okay, fine. I couldn't go on at that point. That's when I realized that I couldn't go on making everybody else happy and being miserable. And that was very close to the time that I got to the suicide attempt. That was after she'd left. I got to that point, but it was like she was, when when I came out to her, the only thing that bothered her was, you know, are you going to leave me? And I was going like, no. And then she talked to her sisters who said, get away from me, get a divorce. And her family told her what to do once again. And she listened. Oh, yeah. They still had that control. Mm -hmm. It was really one of the best things that ever happened for me because it let me finally become me and I moved down here and everything. It's gotten so much better, but it was very upsetting at first, you know, because I thought, once again, I failed, you know, because I got the divorce and nobody else in my family was ever divorced. My sister was married to the same man for, I think, almost 40 years. If he hadn't contracted Alzheimer's and died, it would have been longer. My parents were together for 57 Five and a half, and it was miserable. I can't blame anybody but me on that because I already knew you can't help somebody that doesn't know they need help. But it's one of those things that wasn't the happiest chapter of my life, but it did lead to better things. So I have to go like, well, because I would have just stayed there getting by like I'd always done without something to trigger it. So that was what really, I knew I was already working with a therapist at that point and finally told my now ex that I was doing that. And like I said, at first it was just like, you're not going to leave me, are you? I don't know, but that was a a turning point. But the great part about the turning points for anybody that makes it past that initial everything falling apart, once they've come out and get to be, like you said, living your truth, everything gets so much better and it's so much easier. And like I got onto the doing the radio show because I was asked to do it. P-Flag was getting the show and they wanted... Two hosts, you know, so have different viewpoints. And one of them was on the board and wanted to do it. This is one of the things I always wanted to do. It was the lifelong dream I never had. I wouldn't have in Fort Worth. I was way too shy then, you know. But yeah. down here, it's like public speaking doesn't bother me at all. Yeah, no, I was when I was on the show, and yeah. my dad called me that afternoon and he was like, You and the host had such a great rapport. Yeah. And I was like, It felt like you felt like an old friend. Yeah. That's why I wanted to do this podcast interview yeah. with you. And I, Thank you so much for taking the time out. Oh, well, I was glad to do it because I felt the same way. You know, it's like, you know, we we have a lot in common. Yeah. And uh, sense of humor is one of the most important things 
to getting keeps, along in the world. Yeah, it keeps me going. And that's why my best friend and I, if anybody ever listened to one of our phone conversations, they would assume we were playing some sort of a uh, comedy routine from somewhere. <laughs> we have Who's a great first? time. Yeah. Uh, what's the man's name on second? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Wait. <laughs> well, uh, that, it finally happened, though. There, is a, there was a baseball player named Who's. <laughs> dreams do come true yes. well thank you so much Sally for okay. doing this podcast well, and um, promote yourself a little bit let the folks okay. know how to find I'll, you I'll tell them if you want to hear me on the radio more you can go to WHIVLP 102.3 FM New Orleans it's uh, a radio station dedicated to human rights and social justice our show comes on Thursday mornings at 8 central in the morning, 8 a.m., and it's an hour-long show called P-Flag New Orleans Expanding the Rainbow. And we talk to people from all around the area, parts of the, the LGBTQ community and parts that aren't because we're trying to get everybody inclusive. <laughs> yeah, and we'll post a link on the all of our promo, it. so and if then, you didn't write that down, don't yeah. worry. And then the other important thing is if you go to Amazon <laughs> and look up Sally Michelle Jackson under books, I will tell you somehow they have a bunch of stuff that pops up there like everything else that's not related to me at all. If you see a book that doesn't say it was written by Sally Michelle Jackson, if it's got another name, I never use a non de plume. I don't use pen names. I just write under my own name. So if it says it's by Sally Michelle Jackson. There's a series of paranormal investigations. They're called the Heilsing Cases. And there's a couple of dreaming books. It's a romantic comedy fantasy that takes place largely through dreams. Oh. And from two people who'd never met before. There's also a book of poetry. That was my uh, self-therapy for when I was transitioning. It's the emotional journey for the couple of years early in my transition. And then there's a book of short stories. Oh, great. Yeah. So I owe the Heilsing cases two more books because they're six total. I've only written four of them so far. I'm halfway through the fifth. I'm going to finish it this year. I messed up and did not publish a book in 2019. I don't well, know 2019, what a lot of us took yeah. a little detour, but 2020, so we're back. 2020, we're back, <laughs> and I'll, I'll get those. And I'm starting a third, maybe a series of a transgender female detective, private detective working in New Orleans. Oh, perfect. Yeah. <laughs> I have a queer feminist book club. We would love that. Thank you so much, Sally. Okay. Well, thank you for having me. All right. Thank you to Sally Jackson for sharing her world with you. A special thank you to Jessa Fallon and Ryan Golub for your help editing and producing the podcast. Find us on social media. Let's connect. Let's stay connected, especially during these times on Twitter, we're at Queer to My Heart, on Instagram and Facebook, we're at Near and Queer to My Heart. And we'll be looking forward to bringing back to you our live Greetings from Queer Mountain storytelling shows, hopefully soon. And thank y'all for listening and supporting us. We love y'all. Take care. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.